When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. We're entering championship week here in the NFL, and even though the Chicago Bears have been eliminated for two weeks now, there's still plenty to discuss about our favorite team. I'm Russell DeWitt. Joined with me is my co-host, Nicholas Moriano. The two of us, we have a jam-packed show for all of you. I know, Nick, you're getting ready for the Senior Bowl, and you'll be heading down to Mobile, Alabama for that. I'm excited for your coverage, and you've been doing your homework on prospects. We've been talking about that uh, throughout the week. Uh, who are you most excited to kind of watch when you do arrive? Yeah, I think there's just um, – obviously there's going to be a lot, a big following for the quarterbacks there. They have a pretty good group of guys, especially with Mac Jones being entered into the Senior Bowl. Guys like Kyle Trask, even like a Jamie Newman – those are all guys that I'll be keying in on, but I'm thinking I'm going to be really looking at the offensive linemen. I think the Bears are going to probably be looking at whether it's this group of guys or maybe guys that'll be uh, whatever the combine looks like this year, if there is even a combine. But like Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame, I think the common connection, look how many Notre Dame guys are already on the Bears. Like that could be just a place where the Bears go to kind of look and scout. But those are just a few of the guys. I have a kind of a list going. I think I shared it with you, Will, but I'm going to try to get that list to grow as big as possible before Tuesday next week where I, when I'll be in Mobile, Alabama. And it's going to be uh, exciting for you. I know you were able to cover it last year. You're able to learn from that opportunity, and you're ready to really attack it this year. And I'm expecting nothing but great things coming from you out from Alabama and I know we'll be trying to get as much as we can on a podcast format that way everyone here listening to the show can get caught up all things senior bowl whether it's day-by-day coverage a weekly a week and recap we'll figure out the plans as we go but uh, I know Nick you're excited to let our listeners know uh, everything that you learned while you're down there talking to the prospects and everything like that yeah absolutely and one thing that I selfishly want to try and do is like actually take in the local cuisine like i went to a sonic 
when I was out there, Will. A freaking Sonic the last time. Because I was, one, hungry, tired. I needed some food. And the closest thing to my Airbnb was a Sonic. I'm like, okay, next time we do this, let's try something local and not go for you know a food chain restaurant that you can find anywhere. There you go. Our Sonic in Bloomington closed. So I don't, it's not like you can get it anywhere. But I do know... <laughs> what you mean nick before we get into things i do believe we should let our listeners know about a new opportunity for us that we're excited to announce and begin what do you think is now the the right time i mean when are we gonna do it you should tell everybody will <laughs> all right so i am very proud to be able to announce that we have an official partnership with fansighted to be their official chicago bears podcast it's actually through their media company uh called minute media so it's actually their parent company but for everyone's knowledge here, a partnership with Fansighted is uh, good enough. So I just want to make sure it's clear, though, for everyone listening. Uh, nothing changes for you, the listener. The show remains the same. Nick and I are still in 100% control of this podcast, and we're just joining their network because it's going to allow us to continue our growth as well as expand our reach, our coverage, and our networks. And really, this is thanks to each and every one of you, our loyal listeners. We really can't Thank you enough. We're excited to see what this partnership with Fansided, where it can take us. And Nick, I know that you and I, we've been debating this for about two weeks now, and we believe this is the right move for us, and we're excited and proud to be a partnership with Fansided. You'll see our podcast over there, potentially over on the big lead, uh, some of other, other entities as well. And I'm excited to uh, see where this goes. And Nick, I also want to say, A, congratulations, and B, uh, let's – Let's make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, when you're telling me about all the things that, you know, would help us do as a, a brand here and how we can just expand, like, I, I just kept on smiling. Like, this this is definitely something we got to look to obviously get into, and we have, and I'm really excited for what 2021 is going to look for us in terms of coverage and the expansion that we'll ultimately have to just get to more Bears fans, and that's the ultimate goal. That's been our goal since we started this show six years ago. Now, things happen so fast, but we have some stuff to discuss today. As I mentioned, it's a very full show. So here's an outline of the show. That way you know what to expect. We'll begin by taking a look at the latest surrounding the Bears search for a new defensive coordinator, plus a coach on that side of the ball that looks to be moving on to a new opportunity. I think, Nick, we can quickly catch people up on two offensive coaches that are now gone as well. And then we'll go and hand out our annual Chicago Bears end of season awards, which even though it wasn't the year that we all are hoping, it still should be a lot of fun. So, Nick, are you ready to kick things off? Let's do it. All right. So the Chicago Bears search for a new defensive coordinator to replace Chuck Pagano wages on this week as the team has interviewed a handful of potential candidates, but they have yet to really make a decision. And it looks like one potential in-house candidate, Jay Rogers, he'll be heading to L.A. to become part of the Chargers coaching staff. Rogers, of course, is a coach we mentioned last week as a potential fit for this defensive coordinator gig. Uh, he's done a great job throughout his time in Chicago. We're going to miss him. Uh, he Obviously, his absence will impact this Chicago Bears staff. He's done a good job with most of his guys, been an integral part of developing talent. Just look at like Nick Williams in the 2018-2019 season, Brent Urban, Mario Williams, John Jenkins this year. The defensive line unit was always a deep one. Big part of that was Rodgers' ability to have the guys up front uh, from top to bottom of that rotation really playing at a high level. So, Nick, with the Bears losing Jay Rodgers, and obviously if they go with an external candidate here for the job, they'll want to bring in their own staff as well. So Rodgers could have already been 
someone who has been on the outside looking in, even though I think any defensive coordinator would have loved to have him on board. What do you believe is going to be the impact of losing Jay Rogers? I think it's his ability to, I think, grow this talent, whether you know that you actually have it on the roster, because there are so many guys on that defensive line where you're not expecting anything out of like a Brent Urban or even a Roy Robinson Harris. That was a project, but once Jay Rogers got his hands on him and started to work with him, well, you see the kind of the players that they can become or how they can contribute to a team. So that's immediately what the Bears are going to be losing, a guy that can develop talent regardless of if it's a first-round draft pick, an undrafted pick, whatever it may be. That's the one thing you're going to lose. But as a candidate, obviously not going to be on the Bears anymore. You lose that in-house guy that obviously knows a team that – maybe would have made for the most seamless transition to fill that defensive coordinator spot, even though he's never called plays, but it would have been a effortless one where he knows the building, knows the people in there can get a head, you know, a head start rather than someone from the outside coming in. But yeah, it's, it's a big loss, but I will say this. I've seen a lot of bears fans are like, man, we lost Jay Roger. We did. And he is a loss, but we just, we don't know how he was going to do with a defensive coordinator. We have to wait and see, but you see how Staley now being, what, the, the head coach of the Chargers, correct? And joining that staff, um, you see this kind of success he's had. You you hope Jay Rogers can replicate that, but it would stink to see that go, right? No, right. You would wish him the best, but it would stink to see him go for sure. Absolutely, Nick. It really is. And I think with Jay Rogers, you know, guys in this locker room, like Akeem Hicks, who's been around him for some time now, they'll have to carry the torch a bit, get used to some different coaching and Obviously, with some of the veterans, that's not such a big deal, but maybe with some of the younger guys like Blaw Nichols, this could be a good opportunity for him to learn something a little bit different from a different perspective, different vantage point to kind of help their careers as well. Again, big loss from the impact, really good coach. But the good thing about the NFL is good coaches always come. You have to find – that's the point of it. You have to find the right guys. Uh, hopefully, the Bears do find the correct replacement here. And if not, then – who knows what the impacts can be from that point forward. But I want to also look at some of the and take some time to discuss some of the candidates the Bears have interviewed so far for that defensive coordinator vacancy. I'll go through the ones that we know of, and then, Nick, we can discuss them real quick. So we have Jonathan Gannon, who is currently the Colts defensive backs coach. He has 14 years of coaching experience, and his past three years have been as that Colts DB coach. That unit had 13 interceptions this year, and they're getting, or Gannon, I should say, is getting a lot of buzz right now. You see him possibly connected to jobs in Atlanta, the Chargers as well, and the Jaguars are looking to interview him for that same potential spot too. Then you have James Betcher, former defensive coordinator for the Giants and Cardinals. He had a better experience during his three years in Arizona, where his defense ranked in the top 10 each and every year, and they were takeaway machines. Simon New York, as most people know, he struggled, didn't really have the right players in his scheme, which is very blitz heavy, very complex, and things just didn't work out for his time in New York. But he was someone that was on Matt Nagy's radar when he was first hired if they were unable to retain Vic Fangio. So it's interesting to see this one kind of come full circle. And then you have George Edwards, who's a senior defensive assistant for the Cowboys right now, but we know him best from his six seasons as the Vikings defensive coordinator. And during that span, the Vikings defense never allowed more than 21.4 points per game in a season. And of course, that big 2017 year where they only allowed 15 points per game. And then last on my list, Mike Singletary, who hasn't coached the NFL since 2016, defensive assistant for the Rams was that spot. 
Uh, he was also an assistant coach from Minnesota as well from 2011 and 2014. And of course, most notably, the head coach for the 49ers all the way back in 2008, which is crazy to think that it was technically two decades ago, not fully 20 years, but two decades ago is when he was that head coach. And he's never held the role of defensive coordinator. So Nick, now that I kind of laid out everyone out here on the table, I'm curious who out of this group to you makes sense. Do you have any that maybe have you scratching your head because as much as I have a special place in my heart for Samurai Mike I don't believe he's a guy that makes a lot of sense for me he hasn't coached the NFL in five years and for an off offensive heavy league that has really changed in the last half decade I don't think he would be the right guy to take charge of this defense but what's your take on the current crop of the field that the Bears have interviewed so far yeah, it's an it's an interesting one, and I think it's a very different approach from how the Bears handled when they hired Chuck Pagano because it was, what, two days after Vic Fangio left, Chuck Pagano was hired. It's been 11 days since the Bears' season's ended, and now we're getting games like Mike Singletary being involved. And just to kind of start with him, Will, I agree with you. I don't think he would be the right guy uh, to fulfill this position. I, I Obviously, the name speaks for itself and the player and obviously what he did for Chicago, but... He is a bit removed from the game. He didn't have too much success coaching. Again, cool, but I don't think it's the right fit for this Bears team. They need to win now, Will. And honestly, when all the names that you mentioned, I don't know if I have a preference for, for any one of these guys, but I will say this. It's whoever, and this may be an obvious answer, can get the best out of the playmakers that the Bears currently have. Like, And Eddie Jackson obviously regressed this season. So did, you know, a couple like guys like Kyle Fuller weren't as impactful, but whichever one of these guys, and maybe you look at Jonathan Gannon because he's a DB's coach, can get the best out of, you know, maybe an A. Jackson, Kyle Fuller having 14 years as a coach, uh, four seasons with as a, with the Vikings assistant there. Maybe he could be a guy that possibly could, could get the most out of him, but that's all I'm really looking for. Whether they change from a 3 4 to a 4 3, I don't think it really matters in this day and age in terms of how defenses play. So, I don't care about scheme. I don't care what they do as long as they get the most out of these players because I think there's still some really great ones on this defense. That's all that should really matter. But I'll just eliminate Mike Singletary to be, you know, right here, right now. We'll eliminate Mike Singletary, and then you can kind of think about the rest there. I think it was a courtesy to interview Mike for this job. And given how the Bears' front office organization works, I can see them doing something like that for him. But if they went that route, I would see that as a huge mistake. And it's pretty clear cut for me. Again, very removed from the game. Out of all these, Jonathan Gannon, to me, is the most exciting because there's a little bit of the unknown. And I think the potential is the highest. It may be the highest risk, but the highest reward where you have someone like Betcher who has some of that experience, George Edwards as well with some of that experience. And you've seen them. Well, I think, okay, with Edwards, I guess the question is, Nick, how much with the success in Minnesota was on Edwards versus Zimmer? Because I know Zimmer was the one calling the plays. I think out of his six seasons as defensive coordinator, he called plays one game because uh, a surgery that uh, Zimmer had to get. So he wouldn't even have play calling experience. Betcher has a little bit more of that. So maybe you lean that way. It's just when I see his points allowed, no matter if it was the Cardinals defense or the Giants, even though the Cardinals defense was good in yards allowed and being a top 10 there, they're still middle and average in terms of points allowed. Same thing in uh, New York, even though that was really bad. That was like bottom third of the NFL in terms of points and yards allowed. And I don't think he had a lot of talent on that Giants defense. 
I think that's something that is worth mentioning, but it's not like he has a huge, tremendous track record either. So is there anyone else that's not currently on our list that the Bears haven't interviewed that you would like to see them explore? I saw Crystal in the chat was asking about Wade Phillips. Obviously, the Bears have not interviewed him, but it is a name that you do continue to hear about a potential fit. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Well, I think a guy, another in-house guy, and I don't know if they've interviewed him or not, but Sean Desai, the safeties coach, right? I think that's a, a one that we've all heard about. We know um, that he's been on this Bears team for a while now, and maybe it's his time to get an opportunity to, like I was saying with Jay Rogers, that seamless transition. Again, new experience being the defensive coordinator as opposed to just a positions coach, but that could be another option for the Bears. But I wonder... Like, they're obviously kind of, I don't know if it's, like, the right word is delaying this this decision, but you're seeing the, like, some guy, like, Aaron, what is it, Aaron Glenn, or he went to Detroit. Like, you're losing some of the better guys. I just hope the Bears are not, they need to do their due diligence and research everything. But you can't take all the time in the world because then you're going to be picking out from, it's going to be, like, Mike Singletary and God knows who, and then you're, then you're in a bad spot. So they need to be... Uh, calculated with this process, but they need to start working a little bit more effectively and more efficiently in these next coming days. You hope they have the right guys, you know, targeted after waiting for someone. You're looking at the last four teams here, people that you're not allowed to interview just yet. There's there's some risk involved with that as well in case something does not pull through. Uh, but I hope whoever they do go after, they're doing it with conviction. Now, going back to the 2018 off season where they had a lot of work to do. Uh, getting the coaching staff, getting that built, getting some new guys on this roster as well. And the word we kept hearing was conviction. Haven't heard that so much right now. We're doing more collaboration, not those gut feelings, which, again, okay, there's pros and cons of each way here. But like you, Nick, uh, it's kind of like time is of the essence. You're watching all these guys get signed elsewhere, and I'm kind of having a little bit of that FOMO, right, the fear of missing out. Like, what if one of these guys would have been or should have been the guy and the Bears just kind of sat in their hands a little bit. So I'm with you. I'm getting a little antsy, um, but hopefully some patience prevails here and the Bears do get the right guy because, it, like you said, it's very important uh, for both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy to find the right leader for this defense because if they don't and that defense takes a nosedive, their jobs are in jeopardy. They're on the line for it. So I understand why it's an important decision, um, but I'm getting a little antsy. Do you think anyone that we mentioned, uh, the people that they interviewed now, will end up being the defensive coordinator? You know, I have a feeling, and again, just a feeling that Betcher might be the guy. James Betcher will be the one that they end up signing. Not that maybe that's the best decision, but I, I don't know. I've just been seeing that name so often. And I've seen all these guys, obviously, in the past couple of days, but Betcher, for some reason, keeps popping up on the timeline on Twitter and just got a feeling, Will. I, I like the aggressiveness that his defense plays with. And I do believe there's some talent here that he can get the most out of with the edge guys, the DBs, Roquan. You can do so much with this unit. And I do believe that Chuck Pagano is a little bit passive and they need to get a coach in here that can reinstill, as we talked about in the last episode, some of that vigor, that tenacity on defense. 
Betcher could be that guy. And hopefully, you know, third time's a charm for him as defensive coordinator, coordinator if that is indeed the case. Anything else on uh, the defensive side of the ball? We do have a couple of offensive coaches that are departing that we should also mention real quick. Uh, nothing more on the, on the defensive guys. I bet something gets done by Saturday afternoon, though. Don't know why, but something gets done Saturday afternoon. Man, I was hoping to have a, another weekend off, but of course, if the Bears hire defensive coordinator, <laughs> we're going to have to podcast about it. But let's move forward. Uh, the Bears are now going to be without running backs coach Charles London and passing game coordinator Dave Ragone. London has been the running backs coach for the past three seasons. Uh, looking at his record, he's had a pretty decent success, although David Montgomery was the only running back that had a 1,000-yard season with him, and that was, of course, this year. But it's also worth noting he's done good things with Tariq Cohen, Cordero Patterson. And then looking at Ragome, that he's moving on, I think, is a telling sign for Trubisky. Those two have a very strong relationship, and I know that's a big reason why he's remained on staff. But, Nick, I don't know. Are you surprised he actually got an offensive coordinator gig? I I didn't hear him like any buzz surrounding Dave Ragone, but for a guy that went from like like an intern and like worked his way all the way up this ladder within the last like five six seasons under like John Fox and beyond, it's been kind of incredible to watch. But I'm surprised that he was able to get that kind of promotion. And I'm not trying to be rude. I just didn't really expect that to happen for him at this stage. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but I mean, we saw Adam Gase get a head coaching job because he, you know, quote unquote, fixed, not really fixed Jay Cutler. So things happen. People see these things and they try to project that they can do, obviously, that same kind of production, but even better with now their team. So it's not too surprising given that the NFL will, you know, try to pick up anybody and take a chance on them. But, you know, a guy like Charles London, like, also on the Falcons there, and he's been coaching running backs for the last seven years. He's going to be the quarterbacks coach mm. for the Falcons, so a completely like different turn. So I think, again, maybe they're just trying new things. But what I thought was kind of I don't know if this is telling, but they obviously in that end of the year press press conference, it was all about the culture, right, and having a great culture. Well, Bears coaches are leaving like it's their job right now. Four of them in the you know in eleven days since the season has ended. Yes, they're getting new opportunities for sure, and you know they should do the best for themselves. But I wonder if that speaks to what might be going on at Hallis Hall. Like there is no job security because we know Pace and Nagy. This could be their last year. Are these guys all wanting to you know move on? from their jobs if they don't put it all together and that's why they're doing it does that speak to the culture i don't know maybe i'm looking too much into it maybe they're just again trying to um capitalize on the opportunity that's presented to them but they have lost a couple of of coaches here and it's going to take some time to definitely fill all those roles is joining the bears offensive staff an enticing job in the nfl working under matt Nagy and his sometimes i would say over controlling nature I, I don't know how it could be enticing. You don't even know who's going to be your quarterback next year. And you don't know if you're going to have Allen Robinson to throw to or even, like, is an Anthony Miller going to be? like? And, and there's pieces missing on the offensive line. I think offensive guys are looking at Chicago and, like, man, that's a project. Do I want to go there? That's not going to help my job. If, if anything, it's going to make it harder on me to get the most out of whatever guys are there. So the offensive side of the ball, I, I would think coaches are thinking, man, defensively like oh we have some pieces to work with opposite of what the offense is kind of thinking about but yeah I don't think it's too enticing I I don't see how it is either that's why I was trying I was trying to find a way for you to maybe promote some positivity surrounding it I knew that was a 
tough, tall order for you. You're shaking your head no, uh, which is, I think, very fair and understood. Uh, to me, I guess if you want to look at it from a positive frame, this could help. The offense was, as we know, very bad. So if there is any silver lining here, maybe some fresh minds from anywhere. I don't know if it would be collegiate ranks, NFL ranks, whoever the hell it is. A fresh mind could probably do this offense wonders. And the larger issue, as you mentioned, is personnel. Like who do you even have at some of these key positions? Almost completely uh, around the entire board. Uh, is there any other Bears news or anything new or different that you want to discuss in the show before we do our awards for the 2020 season? Well, the only other thing, Will, that I think we should mention is that everybody everybody still is in the Deshaun Watt. Watson sweepstakes right so just uh again some news or what what was being said earlier today and just earlier this week according to Jeremy Fowler ESPN reporter the Bears could be a sleeper in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes and you know take that for what it is but Lewis Riddick who is a really good friend of Matt Nagy he was on I forgot what show he's on today but kind of just on Twitter he was talking to a, a Bears fan he said Deshaun Watson to Chicago and he's like put the bear down emoji and then the thinking emoji. And then this is what he wrote. He said, Matt Nagy was in Chicago um, when he came out, meaning Deshaun Watson. He was replying to Matt Miller's tweet, basically stating like, why would Watson want to go to Chicago? They already passed on him. And Riddick replied saying, Matt Nagy was in Chicago when he came out. He was still in KC. This just isn't Pace's show anymore. And he also doubled down on that on the radio, kind of stating the same thing. Like I like they spoke, he's spoken to Matt Nagy and like, don't you think he wants to go all in on this guy? And actually, if you watch rewatch the Bears and Texans game, Matt Nagy and Deshaun Watson, they're they're kind of talking. It's not just like a quick like, oh, how's it going, coach? And they're done. It's like they're there, they're talking. Like, hey, how are you feeling in Houston? Will you want to come to Chicago? I know it's not a good situation here, but like, again, I think everybody's in it. But it, it's going to take at least three first round draft picks, according to what people are reporting right now. It could be even more than that. Just need to put that out there. Not saying that the the Bears are the front runner, or they're you know on the bottom there. Who knows? When Ryan Pace, the one thing I'll give to him, and I was thinking about this on my drive home. I'm like, wait, wouldn't you want Ryan? If there's one person right now that you would want to try and get Deshaun Watson, wouldn't it be Ryan Pace? And I say this because he will give up anything. We've seen <laughs> him give up anything. And you talked about conviction. I'm glad you did, Will, because. When he showed conviction to go get Cleo Mack, uh, Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson, he did it. And he, he got these guys here. So if there is a guy that could – he put us in this situation in the first place. But if there's a guy that potentially could get to Shaw Watson, maybe it's Ryan Pace because he has he knows he has nothing to lose. This could be his last year. But if he brings Watson in, maybe he saves his job. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, whoa, is this – is this makes sense and maybe it doesn't maybe people in the chat are gonna you know destroy me but i had to put that out there because i just couldn't get off my mind well i mean when you look at some of the bigger trades right like the cleo mag trade when you're looking at it it's one of the biggest trades in the nfl in the last decade and he was able to pull that one off so you're right like if you wanted anyone to go and get him it's pace it's just ironic <laughs> though it's like well he he you'll give them whatever they want and he, whatever that will kind of shake out to be again it could be a huge ransom uh, to get Watson. It's going to be it's just a matter of can the bears come up with that package that's compelling enough and I, I do think it is in our favor that we are in the nfc so we don't have to be a team that contends for 
uh, against the Texans on a consistent basis. It's only every four years that we actually have to play them. Uh, so it is someone that it's like you deal them and then you don't have to worry about it. Kind of like Khalil Mack coming from the Raiders as well at that time. But that's another another good point. I wish there were more actual real news this week besides it feels like coaches leaving. Um, but that's kind of <laughs> what we have. Yeah, that's about it. I saw someone on Twitter is like, we'll get in a trade package. We'll give you all these first-round draft picks, and you can have Virginia McCaskey. That, I mean, that just cracked me up for some reason. But, yeah, it would take uh, it would take everything that the Bears have and probably more to, to make that happen. All right. What's, you ready for some awards? I, I know it, it doesn't feel as you know ceremonious as perhaps it has in years past. Um, but it is our sixth annual end of season awards here at the Chicago Audible, and I'm ready to have some fun with this. Are you? Let's do it, Will. All right, wait. We have to start it off. Our monster moments of the year, and I'll go ahead and begin. And I don't know, maybe you'll have something different, but I couldn't find any other moment bigger than beating the Buccaneers this year. It was the biggest win that the Bears had this season. Uh, the Bears were able to take down one of the teams in the NFC Championship game. We're not going to talk about the other one. We're not going to do it. But the, that game, when you rewatch it, the pass rush was on fire. The secondary was aggressive. They were racking up the pass breakups. The Bears were finally able to beat Tom Brady, which is something that the little kid in me really wanted to see happen because I was tired of being one of those teams that, you know, Brady has never lost to, the Bears. I was tired of seeing that graphic and hearing about it. And just for a moment, Nick, when the Bears were able to secure this win, which before this game, we were all wondering, are they pretenders or are they contenders? And for a moment, the Bears were contenders. They beat one of the better teams in the NFC. They did it convincingly on defense. Offense is a whole different story. They did, they did just enough uh, to win. But Sadly, that was, to me, the peak of the season, beating Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, which is why it's going to be my 2020 monster moment. What about you? What's your monster moment? Yeah, well, and I took a completely different approach with this. So my monster moment, week three, on the road at Mercedes-Benz Stadium against the Atlanta Falcons, 9.58 left in the third quarter, Nick Foles enters the game. So I think from that moment, Obviously, Mitch Trubisky was benched. Nick Foles goes goes on to win two of the next three games, but then loses four straight as a starter. And Trubisky has to do cleanup duty. But it was in that moment where I'm like, "Wow, we we knew like we or we talked about it all off season. Like we're gonna see Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. We're gonna see them both in the season at some point." But 9:58 left in the third quarter. I thought it was early. I know he just Trubisky threw an interception early there in that game, but. It's it cemented what like the whole season was like, where you're going back and forth between quarterbacks. None of them can really do the job that you want, and ultimately led to the eight and eight first round exit. Uh, you know, 2020 NFL season that the Bears had. So I looked at that moment, like that's where it all started. Where I think we knew it was going to be shaky. Like you had to go three weeks, not even three uh, full three games in. You had to switch the quarterback, and obviously Nick Foles leads them to a victory against the Falcons, but that's where I pinpointed to him. Like, that's where I knew this is going to be probably a shaky season. You know, I'm disappointed in you because I believe you hit on a really strong moment, but you missed the key ingredient which made that moment perhaps a monster moment. Do you have any guess what that could be? Is it just the game-winning touchdown with Anthony Miller? or That's secondary on my notes. There's two things that make that game special. Number one, the visor. Don't forget the visor. I was going to mention that. Like, I, so that was so funny that, like, I had that in my notes in my head. But I'm like, man, we saw the, you know, the cool visor and everyone talking about it. 
Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. But you take it away, Will. You're completely right. The visor did make that game. It's the visor and then the quote, you know, run to the L. It's those two right there. That's what makes that, like when I look back at the season, those are two of the more memorable moments. Uh, Seeing Nick Foles out there, the glove and the visor, that just that... Oh, bad, badassery uh, that he kind of displayed there for a moment. <laughs> and and then the run to the L quote after the game, which was just tremendous. And that's what we were kind of hoping they can build off of, that leadership from a quarterback. Um, but unfortunately, just due to the remaining surrounding cast around Nick Foles, the offensive line, and you know probably some bad play calling along the way, the cards were not aligned. But really good moments there for us for the monster moments of the year. But let's move on to the stat of the season. Do you have any stats that stand out to you? Yeah, and again, bigger picture here, it's 1-6, which is the record the Bears finished with against teams that ended the regular season with a winning record. And look, you look at those those seven games, that 1-6 record, the Colts, 19-11 loss. Then you have the Bucks game that you referenced there, Will, 20-19 um, win. And then everything after that, Rams, 24-10 loss. Saints, 26-23 loss in overtime. The Titans, 24-17 in both games to the Packers, 41-25, 35-16. And in that, in against those teams that were actually competing, all made the playoffs, the Bears only averaged 16.4 points per game. That's without the defensive touchdown versus the Rams. If you wanted to put that in there it's 17.4 so not obviously not much better and the defense also gave up 26.9 points per game against those teams that you're trying to you're striving to beat you're striving to play because they are going to be the ones they face in the playoffs the bears couldn't do it so one in six that record against teams that finished with a winning record or better that's how the bears finished and that's what that's why they were eight and eight they beat up on the bad teams couldn't beat the good ones yeah, that's a good one. It was a weird year for looking at stats because no one was really tremendous in any one category besides one bear. When I did write that one down, you have to give a little bit of praise here for the 27, which is the amount of field goals made in a row from Cairo Santos, which is a franchise record. Uh, and on top of that, if I guess I'm looking at a stat that at least helped the Bears somewhat and it was a good ranking, it would be the, the 51% red zone defense this year, which was second in the NFL, which is a big part uh, of the Bears being, I'm going to use the word successful. I know that's not the correct word, but as uh, I guess moderately successful as they were this season. If that defense would have been outside the top 10, we're looking at a whole different uh, kind of brevity here this offseason, probably a whole different dynamic right now. But uh, the defense early on this year really did their job. And like you said, Nick, though, when they played those good teams, no one really was able to step up, uh, and that's uh, that's what we're looking toward here this off season. But those are really only ones. And then, if you want to be sour again, uh, the six games lost in a row is the most since 2002 in terms of consecutive losses. Um, but that's really the season in a nutshell, folks. Uh, nothing really great in terms of awesome stats that we get to kind of uh, share with you. But let's move on to the the Sid Luckman Award, which of course goes out to the best quarterback, Foles or Trubisky. Mr. Moriano? 
I think you have to go with Mitch Trubisky. I think when, obviously, he got in there and wins three games after losing his first two when he gets renamed the starter. And the offense was able to do some things, scoring over 30 points in, you know, those four game, that four-game stretch they had there. But I think with, with Nick Foles, there was a lot of things that weren't set. The offensive line was still in shambles. They couldn't run the ball. And still, Nick Foles didn't play very well. So if you had, you had to choose one of these two, I would give it to Mitch Trubisky. I would too. When I was checking out like their splits, I was very surprised how even their amount of dropbacks were. Foles had 335. Mitch had 333. That's like as good as a 50-50 sample size uh, that you can get. In it, Mitch had six more touchdowns, eight less interceptions, completed 3% more of his throws, and he was able to accumulate 40 additional first downs. Again, all in the same amount of work. So Mitch was more productive. And Nick, we can sit here and make the argument about the strengths of the defenses that each of the quarterbacks played. But when I just kind of sit back and think about and recollect on the season, I think the offense was just more fun with Mitch under center than Nick Foles. Besides the moment we talked about, the run to the L and him getting injected with the with the visor. Um, but, yeah, I think this the offense in general, once Mitch came back, was a lot more fun. And on top of that, the extra production. You have to go to Mitch, uh, which is – I was actually excited that we actually had options though this year. The last two years, it's just been, well, it's Mitch. We know this. But when we started this, it was like, well, do you have Jake Cutler or like Brian Hoyer? Well, at times, we can think about it. But this was a year that was probably the, you can go either way. You know, well, I will say, though, I'm good with not having options. That means you have one solidified. Like, if it's we, You're right. the Diz for a Green Bay Packers podcast, like, you get. It wouldn't even be an error. award. It would just be like, hey, we have Rogers. Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> okay, next. Exactly, yeah, but I, I do do get what you mean there, and like it was interesting seeing the splits, how you know even the dropbacks were, but it just like you mentioned, it was more fun watching Trubisky, and the off there was actually an offense at times, right? Like there were times when you're watching Foles in that offense and consecutive three and outs, just not scoring, and you know it still happened with Mitch, but it was just more doable, I guess, watchable when, right. when Trubisky. Well, was again, center. forty additional. First downs with Mitch on 333 dropbacks compared to Foles on 335. And I think, of course, a lot of that was the run game getting going a little bit more as well, which was the quarterback's best friend. Um, but still, whenever you're on the field more, whenever you're actually getting first downs, it does help. And we all know how uh, tedious and, I guess, difficult that was for the Bears to actually accomplish this season. But let's go ahead and move on. Olin Kutzward, which goes to the best offensive lineman. I couldn't think of anyone other than Cody White here for this one. Uh, he was the only lineman for the Bears that was not called for a penalty this season. He was the best run blocker we had, especially after he got switched over to guard. He was really reaching that second level, paving the way for Montgomery, and he was a big reason why Monty was able to spring some of those really long runs here and down the stretch last season. So for me, Cody White here is an obvious winner for the Owen Crutes Award. What, do you, what, what about you, Nick? Are you going to make this a consensus? I thought we were going to both have a consensus Rashad Coward here. I don't know what's mm. going on here. That's I, I missed the memo. No. Yep, I, I didn't have it in my notes either, Well, I did go with Cody Whitehair as well. After the Bears made that switch to put Whitehair at left guard for the final seven games to end the 2020 NFL season, he just looked so much better. He just, like you mentioned, was able to reach the second level, really open up those running lanes for Dave Montgomery. Just looked, he looked comfortable, and I think, like going bigger picture, they need to look to keep Cody Whitehair at guard. 
I think the center experiment, we can get rid of that. And he'll be a consecutive winner for this best offensive lineman award because he is talented. He's good. And, you know, you'll get James Daniels back. And if they can fight for that, that's great. But Cody Whitehair is a good player. Just got to use him right. And that's why, again, with this coaching staff, it looks like they don't know how to do that sometimes. But, yeah, he's he's definitely the winner for the Olin Cruz Award. Now, I wouldn't call his time at center an experiment. I think he was a true center. I think he's just better suited at guard. And we've seen that in spurts. And hopefully the Bears can find or retain a center. We'll talk about that this offseason, some options uh, in order to keep him over at guard. And I'm excited. And we'll talk about this in the State of the Franchise episodes, though, for the day in which you can have white hair at one guard, Daniels at the other guard position. And if they can just get that anchor in the middle, that interior offensive line should be really really a strength of this offense moving forward, uh, which actually leads me into the most improved award, surprisingly. I have a tie, and I'm going to give it to two people. I'm going to give it to Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars. Uh, I'm going to go with both Golden Domers here. They went from practice squad reserves to starting and playing well within a year, and obviously they weren't perfect. They all had their moments, but I didn't expect to see any of these players really this season, but they combined for over 1,000 snaps played, and with that 1,000 snaps played combined, they've only allowed a collective two sacks this season. So for guys with no real NFL playing experience, undrafted free agents who weren't even expected to play this season, to step up in a big way like they did this year and put themselves in a good spot to potentially earn jobs down the line, that's really, well, improvement, to say the least. So they are going to win my most improved award this year. How about you, Nick? Who's your most improved bear? I like those a lot, Will, and I think I'm based mine too much on statistics. But I just went with David Montgomery, um, going from his rookie campaign to his second year now and seeing the improvement in terms of the, the yards, 889 in his rookie season to 1,070, which I believe was tied for fifth most among running backs. He had eight touchdowns compared to six a season ago, 59 first downs compared to 50, a 4.3 average compared to 3.7. And then uh, just doubled, what doubled even a little bit more than that in the receiving game, had 25 receptions his rookie season to 54. And two touchdowns to one last year. So, and I think it, it wasn't that, and I'm sure Dave Montgomery definitely improved maybe in terms of vision stuff, but I think that player was always there. He just didn't have the blocking and it, kudos to the guys that you mentioned, those Notre Dame uh, fighting Irish that helped kind of lead the way to help open up those lanes. And Cody Whitehair being a left guard and a guy like David Montgomery finally could capitalize I'm just having some some space to run without a defender being all over him. So I went with David Montgomery in this one. Very strong one. I'll have so, no spoilers here. Uh, I have some additional stuff for Montgomery, but I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about it. I will talk about it. We'll find out when. Which leads us into our letdown player of the year. And I think there are two very strong candidates, two very strong ones. And I'm curious to see which defender you went with. Yeah, um, they're both making a lot of money, and yes. one plays closer to the line of scrimmage than the other. But I, I went for this one, Eddie Jackson. Okay. So, I mean, just no interceptions. You saw poor tackling. Um, I think that I, – I, look, I guess teams can avoid him at times, right? They're not going to throw to him. But that can't be the excuse for dropped interceptions, those missed tackles. He just wasn't the same impactful player for a guy in the offseason signed – at the time was the highest paid safety in the league 
the man got paid and it kind of showed this year and that's and i don't think that's who eddie jackson is i truly don't believe that but it it was really disappointing to see that there were inter- there were interceptions in his hand will and eddie jackson didn't come up with it and we we were at a game where we saw him take over he won the game for the yep. bears and so it's like we know there's more to be expected from him like i spoke to his personal trainer over the over the summer and the main thing he talked about, the fit factory, is like how hard he works, the mindset that he has. So I know Eddie Jackson's way better than how he played, but he definitely was the letdown player of the year for me. Yep, that's one, which I'm happy I took the other one. So we're, we're, we're going to make sure this one's fully encompassing. And obviously we're talking about, well, I'll be talking about Robert Quinn here. And Nick, did you know I have 70 million reasons why I was let down by Robert <laughs> Quinn? 70 million it, ma- it makes a lot of sense it is, it is. it's a tremendous amount of sense uh and i'll give quinn i'll start this off with a tiny bit of praise because he's able able to play some better ball down the stretch but it just wasn't nearly enough it wasn't nearly as impactful and quinn wasn't nearly as well again disruptive as he should have been for the price that we paid he went from 57 pressures and 12 sacks as a cowboy in 2019 that 57 went down to 33 pressures. The 12 sacks, you just strike off the one, goes down to two. Uh, and nearly the same amount of snaps played for each season. Talk about a big oof. Now, he had moments, but just way too sparse. And he's just not who we thought he was coming into town. You know, all the talk throughout the entire offseason was about how Quinn's going to unlock Mack and this entire Chicago Bears defense. That pass rush should be roaring off both edges, and this should be a lot of fun. He was actually our second best offseason move when we did our preseason ranking show recapping last year's offseason decisions that were made by the Bears. Number two, boy, did that come back to bite us. And obviously with those high expectations, man, did he let us down. I think he defines the letdown player of the year in Nick maybe I can talk into next season renaming this the Robert Quinn Award. But I'll give him a year to try to turn that or turn that around, but I wouldn't mind putting a player behind the name of this award. I'm so glad, Will, that you chose Robert Quinn. Like I it was it was between the two. We I think we obviously we both knew that, but I don't know. I just went with Eddie Jackson. I'm glad you went with Robert Quinn. We had a full discussion without repeating the same stuff and they're both uh they're both could have definitely won this award and you both thought otherwise <laughs> well, i don't know if winning this award is like even a term <laughs> i think it's like you just get handed it and you're like eh, i don't even know if it's an award it's just an it's a it's an acknowledgement it's a recognition <laughs> but it's not a positive one yep. all right well, let's kind of flip it though let's talk about the most underrated bear who on your in your mind was the most underrated player this season and it was a guy that i actually mentioned earlier in the show Brent Urban. It's a guy that you know what we we always mentioned him at some point in the game. So maybe like he's not that underrated, but it wasn't somebody that I think coming into the season we're like we're gonna mention Brent Urban's name at least once every game. But that ended up being the case, and you know two and a half sacks was tied for fifth on the team. Which again, it's not good that the Bears um, didn't have that many sacks this year. But he also had three tackles for loss, and he just usually found a way to make plays and I honestly will I'd be surprised if we didn't say Brent Urban's name at least once that that's how it got to be at some point at throughout the course of this 2020 NFL season but I think he was a good 
person to win this award because we obviously had no expectations, but we were kind of expecting things from him at least once every single game. Yeah, Brent Urban is a great one as well. I'm actually going through my notes real quick and what we were saying about Brent Urban. I had one line of him in our uh, Countdown to Camp episode, uh, signed by the Bears in week five, the, appeared off and on, finished the year with 16 tackles, had some small flashes, but they were minimal. And that's all we had to say about Brent Urban a little less than a year ago. And I think he was someone that really jumped. He could have been, honestly, a really strong candidate for the most improved player. That Yeah, I would definitely put him in there. And I think, you know, you having like the small line or, you know, just maybe a sense or two about Brent Urban and then us talking about him, I mean, that really shows how underrated he was and what he was able to accomplish in his season with the Bears. For sure. And for me, I went with a safety. So obviously he's not Eddie Jackson, um, but it's to Sean Gibson. Uh, his two picks this year, uh, he also had 26.8 snaps for reception allowed, which is the highest on the team. Uh, his pass rating allowed of 97.5 was the second lowest of all defensive backs on the team, only behind Kyle Fuller. Also very good in run support, a top 20 safety in the NFL in that regard. And on top of that, you won't see it really on the stat sheet other than a PBU, but he was a really big factor in a couple key interceptions that this defense had by knocking the ball out and his teammates coming in uh, to collect that football in the air and come away with those interceptions after the fact. So was he the best player on defense? No. Did he have a career year? Of course not, but nobody talked about him really all season. We had a little bit of hopes for him in the preseason, but he's someone that kind of just did the dirty work, did his job, and he wasn't someone that we really had to pick out for better or for worse all too often. So I wanted to give this award to Gibson because in my eyes, very underrated, and I think he deserves some recognition for the, the work that he put in, the season that he had. And again, when you compare him to someone else who had much higher expectations, uh, I think it's easy to show some of the value and some of the underratedness qualities uh, that Gibson does or did possess last season. And now let's do the opposite, the most overrated player. Hey, guess what? I have Eddie Jackson. And uh, I have Robert Quinn. So hey, there we go. I had a hunch perfectly. that maybe if we've had him the other way for the other one, we would flip it. So for Eddie Jackson, you mentioned it. But one thing you didn't mention, he had a pass rating of over 140 allowed this season when targeted. 140. That's the second highest of all safeties that played at least 350 coverage snaps this season. Three touchdowns allowed. As you know, goose egg with the picks. He was credited with 12 missed tackles, Nick. 12. And I bet you that doesn't count another stat, avoided tackles, that we saw this year as well. Yeah, those are uh, those are pretty telling stats and why he, you know, I guess deserving to win this award of most overrated. But for Robert Quinn, look, the whole narrative coming into why they acquired him is because he was supposed to bring this pass rush that Leonard Floyd, who ironically had double-digit sacks with the Rams this season, was supposed to bring to Chicago, and that would allow a guy like Khalil Mack to be at his best because he wouldn't be getting double-teamed all the time because you had to account for the other side with Robert Quinn. Like you mentioned, Will, two sacks. That's your big ticket free agent. Someone who only could get two sacks. And one came on the very first play that he, he played for in a Chicago Bears uniform. And then you saw it drought like no other. And that's the problem with Robert Quinn. And why, again, we thought he was going to be the key. That third passer, Akeem Hicks, Robert Quinn, mm -hmm. and Cleo Mack never ended up playing out the way that we all thought it would and that's why i have him as the most overrated player for the bears this season 
I have one more line in my notes that I think is worth sharing about Eddie Jackson, uh, about his lack of impact plays this season, and really having to give them give him this award because it's he's on my wall. He's back there. I have an Eddie Jackson jersey on my wall. It's just really this season for Eddie Jackson. It was frustrating to watch, and honestly, giving him this award was just heartbreaking to have to do. And I hope that we can get past this. And he can get back to the player, the caliber that we all really expect from him. And I think we're as sour as we are because we do hold him to an incredible high standard that we know he can play up to. And when he doesn't, it's already frustrating. But when he is almost as as bad as he was this season, it just stings on a whole different level. Very, as I mentioned, heartbreaking uh, is definitely how I feel when it comes to that one. But let's move on to... The Toughest Dude Award. Who's the toughest bear this year in your eyes? I'm curious. I actually had a hard time with this one. Yeah, and I pinpointed two guys here, Will, but I'll go with maybe the guy that you're not going to choose. I went with Roquan Smith here being the toughest dude. And look, as a linebacker in Chicago who finished sixth in the league in total tackles, you have to be tough. And someone who had 139 of them and played in all 16 games, yes, he did leave early in that Green Bay game when he got injured, but you can't play linebacker and not be tough. Like, that's just not a way that you could do that. So I went with Roquan Smith, but a guy that's obviously very deserving of this and who, you know, I was debating back and forth is Akeem Hicks, who I think yeah. every single play, Dang every it, single why snap, do you have him? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that, he was on my list. It was Akeem Hicks. I didn't. I don't actually, in my notes, I literally put Akeem Hicks, parentheses, do I need to say anything more? Like, his name just embodies toughness. And for him to honestly be relatively healthy for the majority of this season is a testament. You know he's always dealing with something. And my secondary one would be Cleo Mack, just because obviously we did find out he was playing with a bum shoulder all season, and we didn't really know the the severity of it at all. And I don't think we still even do know. So if he was dealing with something that was, I would say, relatively major with his shoulder, and he was still able to give this whole season a go, I think that's worth uh, giving some uh, applause to, some praise for. Uh, it, it's just hard for me to 100% give it to him just because we really don't even know what the injury is because they're so uh, seclusive when it comes to giving out those specific details. But by default, Akeem Hicks wins. I mean, that's easy. Yeah, and I see some uh, people in the chat saying Dave Montgomery, and absolutely. Oh, yeah. Fantastic candidate to, to win this as well. I mean, you always see Dave Montgomery breaking tackles, and despite having a line or when he did have some good blocking, he's going to put the same exact effort in. You know, just lower his shoulder. And, look, he missed the game. And after that concussion that he sustained, he went on an absolute tear. So, you know, his body was definitely hurting throughout the season. But he always gave his all every single game. For sure. That's a great one as well. I guess it's a different definition. But also, I mean, he came back. Don't forget, he talked about the concussion. He came back from an injury that happened late in training camp as well. And he came back healthy real quick. And that was – there's concerns he could be out for a good portion of the early – part of the year but he came back yes. real quick too so I think his ability to rebound from injury his ability to get back out there and the desire to play to want to return so fast and all the work he put in to get his body right yeah that's that's actually I'm almost talking myself into it Montgomery's very deserving here as well that's a our chat that's why they're so smart I mean they, they help us out as well that's a really good pickup all right up next we have the underrated coach award which I had tight ends coach Clancy Barone and I think he deserves a lot of recognition. But how could it not be Dave Ragone now? If he got promoted to an offensive coordinator job, and I never even knew he was even a candidate for one of these, and I was even thinking about him as 
a coach that could even be a part of this award right now, I think shows how underrated he must be. Right? <laughs> I mean, that no, is, I mean it's... that's the definition of underrated. Like he went, oh, I was completely underneath my radar. Yeah, that's a good option. I went with Charles London, though. And obviously because of the improvement for, for David Montgomery, but even Patterson, I think, showed improvement as a running back as well. Um, the yards per, per carry for, for Patterson won't really reflect that. 6.1 um, average last year and what he had maybe less than 20 rushing attempts at 3.6 this year, but he seemed to be more comfortable back there. And that's a credit to London, but look, he also got a job and now he's going to be coaching quarterbacks in Atlanta. So like, clearly he's a good coach and doing what he's been familiar with coaching running backs, but now he's got a job with the Atlanta Falcons and he's going to go coach the quarterbacks there. So I went with him as my duh underrated coach. Who's his boss though? For in Atlanta, who's his offensive coordinator that he has to answer to now? Yes, it is your guy, Dave Rigaud. <laughs> well, it's not my guy, but yes. You're your winner. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I do want to give... It's guy, Will. It's my man now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could I at least give a little praise to Barone real quick? Because I did have some notes for him. Do it. All right, so Cole Komet. I just want to give him some kudos here for developing him because it was a very slow burn. Uh, it was a very slow start to the season, but he did end the year leading all tight ends with 28 catches, 243 yards, and his two touchdowns were second of all tight ends as well for rookies, uh, just behind uh, Harrison Bryant by one. Uh, he has 12 first downs, uh, was also second, and his 141 yards after the catch were also a top all rookie tight ends. And again, super slow start to the season, but I think we saw some real development, some real growth out of Cole Komet, his ability to pick up this offense, and I believe a lot of that credit needs to go to Clancy Barone for getting Komet caught up to speed and getting him in a spot, Nick, where we were concerned that they were holding him back. And really kind of, you know, protecting him a, a little bit, being one of those overprotective parents. And then that kind of did change throughout the year. So I think Clancy Barone helped Cole Komet's rookie season be a success statistically, but also from a developmental standpoint. He is someone that is really was able to kickstart some of that growth. And I'm excited to see how the Bears can continue to accelerate that and tap into Komet's potential. And if we have Clancy Barone, I expect that to be the case. And on top of that, you bring in a Jimmy Graham, who is a huge red zone target as well, and he got some really good production too. So Clancy Barone also deserving, but the fact that he's still here and he didn't get this promotion out of the blue, uh, obviously he's not as underrated as maybe a Ragone. Now, it's fun how breaking news can change your mind on something. <laughs> yeah, very true. All right, up next we have the Single Orlacus Award. I love saying that one. It's a great uh, hodgepodge of names. So that's uh, Singletary. Huh, we talked about him earlier. Brian Urlacher and Dick Butkus. And that, of course, goes to our biggest hitters. This is the Chicago Bears' biggest hitter for the 2020 season. Did you have to? You have to go with Kyle Fuller, right? No. Ah, I did not who go did you Kyle go Fuller. with? Well, I, I took with Kyle Fuller. this. Um, yeah, I went completely opposite here, Will. And you just talked about him. I went with Cole Komet as my biggest hitter, and I'm thinking delivering the hits. Like, you mentioned he started to pick things up later in the year, right? We I noticed when Cole Komet got a reception, there weren't many of them, like you were kind of mentioning there in the stats, but he was looking to punish people, trying to lower the shoulder. He was an angry, ones, angry runs winner earlier in the season, the run against Houston, the run and catch where he bounces off one guy, stiffs arms another, spins off another one, and then does another stiff arm, but... You start to see him kind of put his physicality on people. And I think there was a quote that was all saying, I'm not looking to run out of bounds. 
And that's that's what you got from Cole Komet. And, you know, Kyle Fuller was obviously you always see the, the big hits. Jalen Johnson had a big one against Green Bay the first game, I believe. But for some reason, just maybe it's recency bias, seeing what I saw later in the season with Cole Komet. But he wanted to deliver the blows. So I went with him, which is unprecedented, I would say, in terms of what this ward is supposed to go to, probably a defensive player. I went with Cole Komet. That's fair. I, I like that you went offense. It's actually a little, I think it's encouraging yet disappointing that you had to go offense. It's, it does have its pros and its cons, but Kyle Fuller, man, like when I think of like big hits this season, uh, my mind immediately goes to when he ran right through Kayshawn Vaughn during that Buccaneers game and completely just knocked him out and he got the flag thrown on him. It was a clean hit. And that's when you found out, you know, Kyle Fuller can't hit a guy with any sort of punishment behind it unless you're going to get a flag even if it's the cleanest hit uh, that you've ever seen shoulder to shoulder and uh, I don't know just whenever you watch you know a small DB be the one to knock someone down like that too uh, that's awesome to see but that's not recency bias but that was again I, I literally sat here I'm like big hit big hit and that was the first one that came to mind so I think that just makes uh, all the lick of sense in the world as well so Kyle Fuller Cole Komet. I like it. Interesting duo, right? Like, I like how those two kind of come together here. All right. Up next, the Baby Bear Award, which, of course, goes to the Rookie of the Year. A lot of rookie action this year from the Bears. A lot of rookies were getting some significant playing time uh, throughout the entire Chicago Bears season. So can you tell me why Kendall Vildor was your Rookie of the Year? I know you texted me that last night. I don't know if you're, like, sleep texting, but I was a little confused. Yeah, I just really like Kindle Vildor. No, I went with Darnell Mooney as my baby boar, baby bear award boar? winner. Boar, yeah, baby boar. <laughs> I, it was actually almost a not a toss up, but Jalen Johnson was a really, you know, a candidate that could easily win this just because of the contributions, how good he looked early on, and you know, having all the passes defended that he did. But Darnell Mooney, just I just wasn't expecting it. He could have been an underrated guy for me too because. We, again, just I guess from what the draft, what we were expecting, just a speedster, not going to be a big part of the offense because rookie wide receivers haven't done that in Matt Nagy's offense. No one's really done anything in Matt Nagy's offense, but Darnell Mooney was able to. And he found a role in this offense, whether it was being that deep shot or an intermediate guy, and he had reliable hands. Caught 61 passes for 631 yards, and I believe that's a Bears rookie record, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of uh, the number of receptions uh, for the rookie season. So Darnell Mooney, it's he has such a high ceiling because we're just seeing, I think, the the floor really of what he can do. Because when you give him a good quarterback, hopefully at some point, God knows when, I think Darnell Mooney can do some really special things. But baby bear award goes to Darnell Mooney. Man, I was excited for this baby boar. I don't know. I was like, maybe you got a new exotic pet. Maybe Brady wasn't fun enough and he needed something got else. A boar. To yeah. Maybe you're <laughs> bored. I don't know. Who knows? All right. Uh, for me, though, Mooney, I think, is a not clear cut, but the obvious choice at the same time. Uh, eighth in all rookies in terms of yardage for the catch as well. Lowest in drops of all rookie receivers with only two this year. And he had a majority of the season, he had no drops. And it was something that he was, uh, it's the jugs machine. Like all the work you see him putting in. Uh, it's exciting, and I think the reason why he goes above Jalen Johnson uh, is availability uh, because Johnson did have to miss the last quarter of the season with that shoulder injury. And then additionally, from that point on, when you're looking from a value perspective, 
When we got Jalen Johnson, we immediately pegged him to be that Prince of Mukamara replacement, or at least I did. I know some, like you, Nick, you had to take some time. Well, we'll see the competition, but uh, I, I immediately had him pegged there. Some expectations were high. Cole Komet being the top tight end off the board, expectations were high. But when you draft the guy at pick 172, and he's a receiver, and we have a history of like second-round receivers that are busts in Chicago. You never know what you're going to get from some of these later draft picks. We had so much return on investment. He's achieving above his draft pick, and I think that's why he's the most deserving right now for the Baby Bear Award because he was picked around the same time as like you know like Vildor and things like that. And it's just a light and like a night and day difference of like what they're able to contribute. And Mooney was a day one starter where Vildor. Again, just do the depth chart didn't have to play, um, but you can just tell the, the talent gap that's there as well. I know they're different positions, but their ability to play their position is what I was referencing uh, right there. But Darnell Mooney, consensus man, all the way around, uh, by far the rookie of the season here for the Bears. Well, maybe not far, but out of the one. It's interesting we had so many rookies play, and I'm not trying to dig on any one of them because they all had their moments, um, but Darnell Mooney was the best one. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. All right, the Richard Dent Award, which goes to the best pass rusher on the team. And I put LOL because I, I was like, did we even have pass rush this season? I don't recall. Um, but if you want to go pure statistical, Cleo Mack does win it. Is that who you have, or are you going to go with uh, another guy here? But if you're looking at pure stats and productivity as a pass rusher, uh, Cleo Mack with his nine sacks, three QB hits, and 49 pressure do take the cake yeah it has to be Khalil Mack will and I usually it's going to be Khalil Mack regardless of the year but it wasn't I guess his best year statistically rushing the passer he ranked number one according to pro football folks in terms of run stoppage which is great but we didn't see the most impactful plays from Khalil Mack he still has forced fumbles he's going to do that that's what he does but really all around you look at it it just wasn't a very good collective effort in terms of pass rush when you have guys like Barkevis Mingo who are outshining guys like Robert Quinn. That's an issue. And, you know, good for Mingo making the most out of his opportunities, but you need to see more out of the entire unit. I think Akeem Hicks was on a tear for the first three or four games, right? He was doing really well, and then he kind of, you know, settled down. But I do have to go with Khalil Mack. Um, I wasn't really expecting it out of him as the season went on. Like, okay, here's a sack from Mac. It's like, well, maybe so, uh, once every blue moon we can get, you know, one of those those things where you sack the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage, maybe. But it just didn't happen as frequent as obviously we've been accustomed to seeing. No, not, not last year. Maybe in 2018. That just Everything goes back to 2018. It does. It really does. Since you gave it to Mac officially – I'll give the alternate here, and I will give it to Akeem Hicks. Uh, in terms of sacks, Akeem was not at the same level as Khalil Mack. Uh, Mack had nine. Hicks had three. But this is where things can get a little interesting if you want to look beyond just sacks. We talked about Khalil Mack going into three QB hits. Well, Hicks had 16. So if you take the 16 and the three for Hicks, you're looking at about 19 plays where he's at the quarterback, either a sack or a hit. And those can be disruptive where Khalil Mack had the nine sacks to three hits, that's only 12. So that's a plus six there for Akeem Hicks. If you want to talk about times he actually got on, I know, Nick, you're not good with math. You can keep up. <laughs> Carry the one, divide by pi, you're good. But if you want to look there, and then Hicks did have technically one more pressure. Uh, he At least according to PFF, 50 pressures compared to Max 49. So, again, if you want to look just beyond the sack total, 
Hicks could be, or at least he is, at least my winner here uh, as an alternate. I want to at least preface that, but still deserving of this one as well. Uh, and I think Hicks missed a game this year, didn't he? He was one so in, in less time. So I can even throw that out there too, a little extra wrinkle on top of it. There you go. And we don't know when Khalil Mack sustained the shoulder injury. That Exactly. We, we just don't know because like, the Bears never like to say anything. But, yeah, you just hope that both those guys are – look, if they're both in the contention for next year, that's perfectly fine. But just more production would be the obviously the best-case scenario. Okay, moving forward, we have the surprise player of the year. I would be surprised if this one is not a consensus. And I'm going to go with Cairo Santos. Uh, you're nodding your head, so we're in consensus here, yes? Yes, sir. Because we all thought it was Eddie Pinero's year, and boy, were we all wrong. The Bears brought in Santos in August after Eddie, at the time, and I quote from Matt Nagy, has a little bit of a groin injury. Just a little bit. He'll be fine. Boy, he, he never saw the field uh, at all this year. Santos took that opportunity and ended up, so he goes from being signed in August to be a potential stopgap replacement potentially, maybe not even a week one starter, to now the franchise record holder in consecutive field goals made with 27. Now that, if that's not the definition of surprise, I don't know what is. He hit a 93.8% of his kicks, which also broke another Robbie Gold record, which was previously 89.7% made for a season. Really, he blew that out of the freaking water when you look at that statistically. So for a guy in Santos who's bounced around, who's had injuries derail his career countless times. He was cut from the Bears. He was cut from the Titans last year after going 0 for 4 in a single game. Nobody saw this coming. So my surprise player goes to Santos Little Helper. Anything you need to add on that other than, again, it just came out of literally nowhere. And I'm out of all of the awards to get, I think I'm getting a little bit more fired up about this one because these are the moments that I think make – football special when you can have a guy like this who as soon as I you can go back to previous episodes when they brought him on where I kind of like snarky about it because we remember what he did when he was here the first time and it wasn't good and we didn't expect anything at all from him and that he gave us everything back so I just want to give my appreciation to Cairo Santos uh, and I, I guess uh, I'm glad he ate me uh, glad he allowed me to eat my own words here yeah, and, and look, John Fox called him Carlos Santos. I mean, that tells you, <laughs> oh that tells gosh, you everything that. You, need to, you need to know about him. But as you kind of described, like, what he had to go through, Will, like, you know, just not being, obviously, a cemented starter coming in, having to compete for the job, ultimately winning it and making 30 of 32 field goals, having the record, making 27 straight and 28, including the playoffs. It's like, that's like a movie. Like, that's like a movie kind of the scenario that happened here and now he is going to be the kicker and Eddie Pinero maybe could have had a shot but he wasn't healthy and Cairo Santos made the most of it and like I've been saying through multiple episodes throughout this entire year whenever he went up there I I wasn't worried I was not and that felt so good knowing what the Bears had been through with the kicking position but yeah easily surprise play of the year and I'm looking forward to see how Cairo Santos can continue this momentum, this great momentum that he's on going into 2021. Yeah, I'm sad that it had to stop. <laughs> but, well, hopefully he can just pick up right where he left off. He couldn't even get the announcer's curse to work this year. You know, oh, he's made this much straight. Like, it, it never even worked for him this year. We saw that happen uh, last week during the Ravens game. So I'm glad uh, that he was 
immune to that. And you know what? You need a kicker who can be uh, immune to that as well. Again, it's a real thing. I promise it really is. But uh, let's move on to the Golden Boot Award, spelled G-O-U-L-D-E-N, which is Get Out of Town. And I almost feel like I want to rename this after (laughs) at the time where I get out of here, Robbie, because it was a long time ago. We We were sour at the time. He had a bad year. But the boot works. You want to, you want someone to leave, so that's a tough one. Maybe you'll be the Robert Quinn Award one day. <laughs> we just keep naming them after him. Um, but for real though, uh, who who do you want to get out of town? So I don't want to phrase it like I want someone to get out of town. No, that's literally the might, award. Golden Boot Award. I get know. out of town. <laughs> Here's who I think could, uh, I guess, win this award. I don't know how this how this works, but. It could be Anthony Miller in terms of his his uh, time here in Chicago. Just another down year, and this is supposed to be his breakout season. 51st overall pick, Will. Bears moved up to select him. 49 receptions and just down from 2019. The 485 yards, again, down from the previous seasons. Two touchdowns tied from 2019, and... Like, why did a fifth-round draft pick and Darnell Mooney take a spot? Like, you saw Miller's actual snap count, 54% this year. Darnell Mooney's was 73. And the Bears just felt more comfortable having him out on the field. And the icing on the cake was punching C.J. Gardner-Johnson after Bears earlier that week discussed, do not interact with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They took time out of a very condensed week, obviously going to the playoffs, 15 minutes to have a, a a meeting about this. And what does Miller do? He doesn't care, loses cool, and made a selfish and dumb decision. And remember, Mooney wasn't playing in that game either, so he put his team in a tough position. So everything that Miller really hasn't done, it's probably leading up to where he's going to get the boot and he will be out of Chicago. See, I put him on there without any reservation. He is my recipient of this award. I'm over it. I'm tired of this. And I think the Bears are getting close to it as well. Um, you mentioned Mooney taking his spot. I don't think that's specifically the case because Mooney, you know, I think they play different receiving positions where Miller's more the slot guy. Mooney can play, you know, that Z, be the out receiver. I guess the reason why I kept coming back to Anthony Miller here is because I don't know what his role is on this offense anymore. What and I don't know what the Bears want to get out of him. And I, when I go through that in my own head, I believe Matt Nagy's in the same boat. I think every week he would love to give him, you know, five, seven looks each and every game. But he just doesn't know how to do it. And I think that's on Miller a bit. And I think that's on coaching a little bit as well. There has to be a little bit of give or take there. I just don't think it's a good fit for Matt Nagy for this offense. They drafted him for a reason. And I don't think they got the guy they thought they were getting uh, with that, you said, what, 51st overall pick? Yep. Yeah, I don't think they got the guy they thought they were going to get. And I, I don't know if it's – and I really think it comes down to the details, wanting to master the route tree, his plays, uh, and just the lack of focus uh, and the lack of, I guess, some control there. And I know he just became a father this year, so I'm really trying to be – you know, I don't want to mince my words, but I also want to be just cautious because I know family, especially in today's times, is, are, they're very important. Um, but so is your job. You get paid to do what you need to do. And – the fact that the Bears can't find a way to get consistency out of him after all this time, it's a reason to move on, even though I know what I'm saying because we don't know if we get A-Rob back. So then if you lose Miller too, then you're down two receivers. Uh, the good news is we've seen Ryan Pace rebuild a wide receiver room on a dime. Uh, so it's not like we haven't been in this situation before. But, yeah, I just don't think he should return. 
uh, just based off of everything I just mentioned. But it's a tough one because he is someone that we've had a lot of hopes for, uh, always thinking that year will be the breakout year, and we just haven't really been able to tap into that. And at some point, and again, it could definitely be a Leonard Floyd situation, Nick, right? Go somewhere else, has a breakout season. And it just that different environment could be what it is and just may not be a mesh, a fit here. Uh, but it doesn't mean he's a, a bad player. I think he has a lot of talent. I just don't think he's really putting in the effort to tap into the talent that he should be. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he'll do some good things on another team for sure. All right. Let's call an audible this season, though. Like, If he had to take a moment for the entire year and you'd like to have a redo, what would it be? So mine actually happens right at the end, very, very end of it. And that's Ryan Pace coming back for his seventh season as general manager. That's the audible that I would make if I was the Bears here. Like, I think it doesn't matter what you do. The Bears were not going to have the season that, you know, people were maybe hoping to have happen. But they could have done something to change the future. But George McCaskey, Ted Phillips gave the whatever, however long that that end of the year press conference was, which basically didn't say a lot that was reassuring for Bears fans that the future is going to be any different because they brought back the same core components that led the Bears to this problem in the first place. So the audible, Ryan Pace doesn't come back. And now we can see what direction this Bears team is going in. Do they already have their coaching staff established by this point? Are people leaving? Like, who knows? But the the big the main issue with the Bears in 2021, the same guys at the top. And unless that guy, Ryan Pace, gets Deshaun Watson to Chicago, it's going to be a season full of a lot of probably what we experienced in 2020, but probably worse, to be completely honest. But that's where the audible, I'll take it. I, I'm assuming, like, Willie took a different approach with it. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I, I kept it football-specific. <laughs> but it is football. I know what you mean, but it's an interesting one. I still I have some okay real quick I know we're running long but I do believe the reason why Nick finally a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic our first system that detects snoring then automatically adjusts by raising the bed get your best sleep all night every night for a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Ian Pacer here is because they had all those talks in House Hall, and I bet you Virginia and everyone said, if you say that Matt Nagy is not the coach and if Ryan Pace is not the GM that needs to be here and you two, and I'm meaning George and Ted, are responsible for this, you're out of here. So they were pretty much, I think, their feet to the fire. Like, are these the guys to lead this team or not? And they're like, okay, yes, please don't burn me. Because if not, I think all four are gone. So this is like they're all sticking together to see if they can turn this around because I think everyone's rear end is on the line this year. Uh, everyone. I'm talking Ted Phillips, George McCaskey, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy. I think it was an all or nothing for the Bears, and I believe that they were able to talk themselves into that last chance. And I think that's why they didn't make the decision because I don't think it was their decision to make. And I think if they admitted the mistake, they're gone. Just my thoughts after being able to sit on it for about a week. My audible moment, I have two, and I don't know which one is more significant. Oh, I know which one's more significant. I don't know which one's more significant for the season. Would it be Tariq Cohen's ACL on the punt return early on this year or Mitch's shoulder against the Saints? Obviously, Tariq Cohen, and this is why I'm debating because we missed Cohen all year, and we know we missed his offensive weapon. But I think 
his off year allowed David Montgomery to really have a chance to blossom and grow. And that could be a silver lining that can help this Bears running back situation because Cohen's under contract for a while. He just had an extension last year. That can maybe help them out for the long term as long as Cohen can be the same type of player that he was prior to this injury. So that's why I debate that one because I do think Montgomery's development, particularly as receiver, and you talked about all those stats going up. He had a re- he had to fill Tariq Cohen's role, and he did a really good job of doing so. And he would not have had those looks, those opportunities if Cohen was healthy. So that's why I'm wrestling with that one. And then with Mitch, maybe if he doesn't get hurt during the Saints and he comes back sooner, although I think the Bears at that point in the season were still pretty gung-ho on Foles because things didn't get that bleak just yet. But if he did come back sooner, maybe he helps you beat Tennessee, maybe Minnesota the first time around. And, again, that can change potentially how the season plays out, but probably not. So that's why I don't lean towards it. But I think either of those still would be the moments I would like to take back. Uh, because outside of that, I think you can look at all the little things throughout the whole year, and it's probably why you went to the off season. And you take one moment here or there, it doesn't change anything. Like even if Mitch came back a couple games prior, what we still lose, but maybe to a different team in the wild card, you don't know. I don't think it would have been like, oh, now the Bears are playing for the NFC Championship this week because Mitch came back two weeks sooner. No, um, but I do think three Cohen's absence was missed. But again, I wrestle with it because I do think it can have some impact for the future. Yeah, those are both really good ones, Will. I, you know, I'd even throw in, what if Mitch doesn't throw the interception in week three? Does does he somehow find a way to do what he did in week one and come back from Detroit, do it in against Atlanta? And, you know, maybe we're talking about a different seat. Who knows? But, yeah, it's all the – I think it all, like you said, would have came to what that end of the press conference was, an 8-8 eight eight season regardless. They were just destined to repeat what they did in 2019. All right, so let's keep the, the 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 sad train just for a moment, and then we'll end with some positives here on the show. What well, was the low light of the season? And if you give me anything other than embarrassing loss to the Packers, that forty-one to twenty-five loss, shame on you because that was the worst I felt as a Bears fan, and as long as I can remember. Yeah, that one was really tough, Will. But I actually went before that. I went Week Ten Monday Night game against the Vikings at Soldier Field, where. You know, the Bears just couldn't do anything. It was just, it was tough to watch. It was 149 yards of total offense, the lowest that the Bears, I you know, believe had in, in a game and for a very long time. Only touchdown came from a Cordell Patterson kickoff return, 2 of 11 on third downs. It was the fourth loss in the six-game losing streak. They just came out flat against their divisional opponent at home. I know there wasn't any fans there, but... It was a primetime game. I couldn't even watch the Khalil Mack interception because uh, something was going on at the time. Like every, like the entire game just it got me so down again. Seeing that, well, this Nick Foles was supposed to be someone that could help the offense. Well, this is Bill Lazor's first game as offensive coordinator. They look like this, but yeah, easily second was Green Bay and the the butt whooping that the Bears usually usually get when they play the the Packers. Yeah, but I think our point is made, or at least my point is made, because. You brought up the different game, but those were right next to each other. Like those, this mm-hmm. is a moment of the season. That's the low point. Like that collective, like time. Wait, are you, are you making the hand motions with me over here? <laughs> but yeah, it's it really was. That's when we saw this team really lose all the effort, their inspiration. They were playing flat, uninspired football. And the reason why I guess why I went with the Packers one was because that was off the bye, and it was after mm-hmm. that game when everyone 
wanted, well, everyone fired. Like all the fans, right? Okay, fire everybody. Let's move on. And that we weren't even in December yet. And every and people were getting on board to just completely clean house. And things did turn around a little bit in December. Um, but yeah, my stomach hurts just thinking about really both of those games now that you mentioned them. And I think that is an easy low light of the season. And hopefully uh, we don't have one nearly as dark as these next year. All right, two to go. MVB time, offense, defense. And then I also want to do a consensus because I think that may be fun. So offensive MVB, I'll begin real quick, real easy. Not even going to have to think about it twice. Although I think there are two strong candidates here, but I'm going with David Montgomery. Uh, We talked about him a lot. Top five NFL uh, rusher with 1,070 yards on the ground. Also a top five receiving back this year. Fifth in the NFL with 438 yards on 54 catches. 10 combined touchdowns. Also fifth in yards after contact. Third in broken tackles. And if he would have had an offensive line early on this season, I think you can see these numbers explode from here. This is a lot of second half of the year production. And if he would have been able to have the same kind of push up front, the same t- uh, same kind of... I guess, a willingness from his coaching staff to stick with him a little bit more earlier on this year. Uh, You could be looking at like a top three rusher in the NFL. So David Montgomery uh, in his second season now, uh, being someone who was able to put together a strong second half to even be a top five runner, I think is really uh, indictive of like what kind of player he is. And we already gave him a lot of praise earlier, so I don't want to go back through all of it. Um, But I think we saw how much this Bears offense succeeded when he was going. And he was like that engine, as we talked about a lot throughout the year. So for those reasons, I'm going to go with David Montgomery. Are we going to have consensus? Are you going to go with that second option that I think? And oddly enough, we have not even talked about this entire episode. Yeah, and we may not get to talk about him next year. It's Allen Robinson, but I did go with David Montgomery as well, Will. I think when you look at the three-game winning streak at the end of the season – a big reason why the Bears won those games is because of what David Montgomery is able to do on the ground and in the air with 354 rushing yards, including two 100-yard games in that span, four rushing touchdowns, added another 84 yards receiving, 72 total touches. But like I say, it's just a huge part of why the Bears won those games and ultimately you know, snuck their way into the playoffs there. All right, defensive MVP. You go ahead and go. <laughs> this one I think is a clear cut, but you can go ahead and begin with it. Yeah, it's got to be Roquan Smith. This is a man that should have been an all-pro this season, should have been um, selected as an all-pro player. And you look at his stats compared to some of the other guys, uh, Roquans are better, um, better than Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, and Bobby Wagner. And because Smith finished with 139 total tackles, 18 tackles for loss, four sacks, two interceptions, just that sideline-to-sideline guy. And it was really surprising, like in the Saints game, how much they guess they didn't miss Smith. But if they would have had him... Who knows? Maybe that game is different because he is that impactful player. But easily, it's Roquan Smith. He did have an all a first team All Pro season. I think he ended up making second team. But like his stats are better than the guys that made the first team, and you know that's telling to the player that he is and what he can still continue to be. You know, down down the road here because he is that type of guy. Yep, Roquan. It, there's no one on defense this year that was even close to playing on the same level that Roquan Smith was. So an easy, easy choice for defensive MVP. But Nick, if you had to choose one for the entire team, would it be Roquan or David Montgomery? Oh man, um, that's tough. Will that is a really tough one. I think I'll go with David Montgomery though. Um, I just think if the offense or if 
Yeah, if the Bears' offense had any success, a good chance David Montgomery was a part of the reason why. Even if it was scoring just a little bit in, in terms of what the Bears were able to do, David Montgomery was a reason why that the Bears were able to at least to sustain drives or get into a position to score. You look to number 32, and he's a big reason why there. Yeah, I'm having a hard time arguing against you, but for the sake of the argument, let's go with Roquan Smith. You already hit on his stats. Uh, eighth in the NFL in combined tackles, two interceptions, a forced fumble, seven PBUs. Everything I just said was a career high for him. Uh, you talked about the 18 tackles for a loss. His previous career high, do you know what it was? Go like with six. It was eight. He had 18 this year. Good. That was a very good guess. Uh, but yeah, that again, he set a new career high that was leaps and bounds above where, and I think that's that alone, Nick, I think it's not the total tackles. I think it's the tackles for a loss that really demonstrates the type of season Roquan Smith had, as well as his development and how the game has slowed down for him. And he's been able to read and react, play downhill this season better than he's ever had before. And it's only really just the beginning. And Obviously, not how he wanted to end his season with the dislocated elbow. But luckily, offseason, that's something that he can come back from without really any repercussions. And he should continue to be an animal all over the field here in 2021 and beyond. But still very undervalued in the NFL. And in many ways, he's kind of like the NFL's best kept secret. And I'm okay with that being here in Chicago. So I'll give it to Roquan. But Montgomery is another one. You can't really go wrong, but still... Uh, they're both really, I mean, honestly, Nick, if you want to look at silver Langs this season, two young Chicago bears on opposite sides of the ball, uh, being one of the best at their positions is something to, I guess, hang our hats on when it's all said and done. Yeah, it's very, it's a good way of looking at this. If there's any positives, those two are definitely, um, one of the few. For sure. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, that was it for all the awards that we needed to hand out for this season. I hope you guys enjoyed us going through that. It was kind of fun to recap the year. And then from this point forward, we get to kind of move our focus on to 2021. State of the franchise. It, you know, As soon as any breaking news happens about coaching changes, things of that nature, we'll be on to discuss that as well. And free agency, the Senior Bowl. I, I forgot. I know someone who's going to the Senior Bowl. Wait, that's you. Yeah, so I mean that's I hope well we'll see maybe something does happen over the weekend, but that's probably where it's going to start for, in terms of coverage is seeing what are potentially the guys that the Bears might be looking at. Kendall Vildor was a Senior Bowl guy last year, and obviously the Bears drafted him, so I think that's um you know maybe the Bears are looking at whether it could be offensive line, it could be the quarterbacks that are there as well. So that's probably a good start in terms of where coverage will begin. But, yeah, it's going to be – I think it's going to be an interesting offseason, Will, because they have a lot of coaches to fill. And who knows what's going to happen in free agency with Allen Robinson? Who's going to be the quarterback? Who are they going to – like, there's a bunch – there's a finally a first-round draft pick. So a lot's going to be for happening now. this – yeah, for, exactly, for now. But it, there's going to be constant coverage, which is exciting, and we'll be, we'll be back to work. And we're already doing that right now. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we're on it, and – I think I'm excited for this offseason. It should be as busy as the 2018 offseason, which is one of my favorites to cover. And I'm just looking forward to, you know, kind of going through this journey again with you. It's odd because we're sitting here in January. And when you're looking at August, like it's never going to be here. But we'll keep our nose to the grindstone. We'll go through this each and every week, consistent episodes. And then we'll blink and the season will be here. And 
We'll be all smiles again. We'll be giving the Bears, you know, the 12-4 and 4 record predictions. No, I'm kidding. But you never know what we talk ourselves into by the time we get around to August. But I'm excited for it, man. And I know, I'm, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, looking forward to your coverage from the Senior Bowl. Uh, and, again, any way that I can help you remotely from afar, uh, I'm here to do that here as well for you. I wish I can make it, uh, just not in the cards for me this year, but next year. You and I, Senior Bowl. We'll go back to the scouting combine. The world's going to be normal again, and I'm excited to see what that looks like, but we're not there yet. I can't look too far ahead, so let's focus on what's in front of us, which is you heading down to Mobile, Alabama. That'll be fun. Uh, What was the one in Hawaii, though, Will? That's the one we need to schedule. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Keeping us uh, right. We're don't... going to Mobile, Alabama. Sorry, nothing about. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. We'll keep <laughs> no. that one a secret for 2022 because I, you've been. I have never. The furthest west I've been is Missouri. Oh, okay. Yeah, that needs to change. I know. I know. I, I'm excited for that. We'll, we'll one step at a time. But I want to thank everyone who watched the show live, and for everyone who's listening to the podcast all around the entire world. We really do appreciate each and every one of you. And as I said, we'll be keeping our focus on the offseason ahead. Nick, as you kind of get throughout that Senior Bowl, any report that you can bring on to the podcast will be super appreciative. And if any breaking news breaks between now and then, we'll be uh, talking about it right here on the podcast. But until next time, bear down, Chicago. Bear down.